thank you for your donation to Corbono, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the study of Scripture according to the mind of the Catholic Church. If you like this talk, we invite you to share our website, www.corbono.com, with others so that together we may participate in the evangelization of the third millennium. Our speaker, Najim Awad, lives in San Diego, California with his wife and seven children and has been studying and teaching scripture since 1995. Najib believes the Catholic Church holds and teaches the fullness of truth, and with his tremendous zeal and insight, he is able to communicate that raw truth without sugarcoating the teachings of the Catholic Church. He also believes that our job is not to change the truth, but to communicate it clearly and directly to others. And now, here's Najib. And so, a couple of things before we begin. We're now, tonight, uh, we're going to go uh, through chapter 45 of the book Genesis. Um, God willing, we will complete on June 21st. So, June 21st will be the last Bible study until we resume back in sometimes uh, after Labor Day in September, which will then give me enough time to complete uploading all these talks to the website and prepare the next, uh, the next series. So that's uh, the first thing I wanted to mention to you. Continuing our little conversation over the, the signs of times, um, while the Holy Father was in Portugal, I don't know how many of you picked up on this, but um, there has been demands that are coming from India, from China, from the Philippines from different parts in Asia, asking the Holy Father to declare the fifth dogma of Our Lady. They're saying that that would be very helpful in their ministry. In, uh, within the Chinese um, uh, uh, you know, uh, framework, a mother holding a baby is always comforting and is always a sign of the uh, love of the gods, and, and among the Hindus, it's the same thing. One of the bishops said it, even if a mother is not there, they will make one, because this is so important to them. Therefore, this dogma would help the process of evangelization. So that might uh, end up being a, um, a very uh, powerful event that we might witness in our lifetime. If you're wondering what is that dogma, it's really the essentially the spiritual motherhood of Mary over all nations and um, also declaring her as uh, co-mediatrix of all graces and co-redemptrix. Um, very powerful. Interestingly enough, today, the president of Portugal stated that he is going to be, sign, he's going to be signing a bill that was passed by the House of Representatives of Portugal in January uh, to um, allow same-sex marriage in Portugal. And so Portugal will be the sixth, um, the sixth European nation to allow that. And coincidentally, in my bag, I had this piece of paper. I don't remember who put it there, but I had it there. And in it, they're quoting some of the things that Our Lady said during her apparition in Fatima, which brings us back to the conversation we had last week. And the one thing, the two things I want to quote here is, are the following. The sins that throw most souls into hell are sins of impurity. 
She added, certain fashions will be introduced that will offend our Lord very much. And then, wars are only, wars are only chastisements for the sins of the world. So, in her apparition, when Our Lady spoke of wars, she saw them as chastisements for sins. Who gives chastisements? The Lord Jesus Christ. The book of St. John is absolutely clear. Nothing was made that was not made through him. And Jesus said, God has given me all, everything. Everything goes through the Son. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God, therefore receiving from him all power, dominion, etc., etc., as Isaiah saw. He is the one who chastises. And how do you understand chastisement? Within the context of what? The covenant. Because God cannot chastise us unless He's told us beforehand what to do and what not to do. You see how all it all links back to our understanding and our appreciation and our living out of the covenant. When we live the covenant and we follow God's law and we make it our own, God blesses us. He gives us the blessings. And most importantly, eternal life. When we do not, when we rebel, when we decide to make a different covenant, so we think, or change it, or ignore it, or violate it, we get chastisements. And we get curses. That's how God acts. And as human beings... Because of original sin, we would rather there was not a covenant to begin with. That's what we're trying to do constantly. Our life can be really summarized into two sentences. Faithful to the covenant or faithless to the covenant. And that's it. And amongst us, those who want to be faithless to the covenant want to justify it. Therefore, what do they do? They either say there is no covenant, they ignore it, or they come up with their own. As if doing so takes away the fact that objectively speaking, there is a covenant and none of us has the power to break it. It would be as if you had two people driving on a highway and there was a boulder sitting right there. And one says to the other, hey, there is a, high, there is a boulder. And the other one says, no, 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 no. There may be a boulder to you, but to me there is no boulder. And he keeps on driving with the appropriate consequences that follow when the, the car meets the boulder and the laws of physics apply. Okay? So, always, and I'm, and I'm not saying these things to you to scare you or to worry you. I am saying these things to you to make you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is not sitting on the sideline and He's too weak to intervene in this mad world of ours. And that the decision of the president of Portugal is something that escapes him. You know, poor Jesus, what can he do? Just die on the cross for us, you know. We're going to mess things up. We're going to mess up. He cannot do anything, right? He's just sitting there on the beach with a guitar waiting for us to come. We're going to sing a song. We're going to you know, hug each other and sing Kumbaya and everybody will be happy. Right? I mean, you've you got to understand, this is how the devil wants you to see God either as disconnected or out there, way out there, or put the world on autopilot, or had nothing to do with anything that's going on, and it's left up to us to pick up the mess. 
It's all on our shoulders. That's what the devil wants you to believe. It's on your shoulders. If you don't pay your rosary tonight, the world will be going to hell. All of it. How, how does that make you feel? You want more responsibility? The devil is right here waiting to pile them up on your shoulders. Let me give you more. You want more? I'll give you more. Because he knows very well we cannot carry the load. None of us can. He wants to take away from us the spirit of childhood. The beauty about kids right now, even though all these things are going out in the world, what are the kids doing? Kids who are growing in good families. and What are they doing? They're chasing each other and playing their games and just being happy about who they are. That's precisely what I'm trying to tell you. You have to reach that spiritual maturity to be able to live like that. But you can't live like that unless you believe that Jesus Christ is in control and that He's permitting these things to happen in Europe and He's going to allow them to go down that route. Why? Because He's so frustrated and so angry with them, He just had had it. And He's going to show them who's the strongest, right? No. Jesus Christ is a Middle Eastern man, but He's not a frustrated, angry Middle Eastern man. Okay? I might be saying this as a pun, but if you have a representation of your dad as being a frustrated, angry man, you might grow up with that kind of representation of who Jesus is. You're going to have to work through this. But that's not who he is. So why would he be allowing this uh, president of Portugal? Why is he allowing Portugal to do that? Why? What's the goal? What's the intent behind it? To show forth his glory. To show forth His glory. This is not about us. God's plan of creation has not been just about us. It's about Him. Now you might be thinking, whoa, you know, God is show off. What is this business with it being about Him? What do you mean it's not about us? This is key. This is so profound and so important for all of us to understand. It is about Him. Why? Because in the end, there is only Him who is substantial, who exists on His own, who is something. None of us us exist without Him. You understand? So He's showing forth His glory so that what? So that we may come and we may know and believe that He is truly God. And that in His glory, we find what? Our being. Exactly. It is in the glory of God that we find our being. Apart from God's glory, we cannot find who we are. It is His glory, His majesty, His mercy, His love, who He is that makes us happy. Otherwise, what's the point of saying that heaven is when you have what? The beatific vision. Well, what are you going to see when you see the beatific vision? God in His glory. It's the glory of God that converts people. It's the glory of God that sustains people. It is the glory of God that makes us happy. If we're not rooted in the glory of God, we're not going to be happy. We're not going to be hopeful. We're not going to have faith. We're not going to be able to do anything. That's why God's glory is so important to us. God is glorious beyond 
understanding and He wants to share His glory with us. Yeah? So by, show, by, by showing, by showcasing, by, by showing the whole world His glory, we take heart, we take hope, we praise Him. We've been at it for 2,000 years. We're still here. No other religion can claim that. And one day, God willing, in the year 22,368, on some faraway planet, where Catholics will be sitting in a church just like this one, going through a Bible study just like this one, dealing with events in crisis, very similar to our own time, they look back at the span of years of the church, and they will see what? The glory of God. Yeah. And they'll think of us being part of what? The early church. Yeah. Part of the early church. And they will take heart, knowing that we precede them, that we've lived through what they're living through, and what? We in heaven are praying for them. Indeed, it is God's glory. That's why He allows all this to happen. If you see the world unraveling in front of you and you take on despair or pessimism or you become critical or cynical, understand that you are guided by the devil. You are not guided by the Spirit of God because you think like men think. You're doing what St. Peter did. And Jesus will tell you what he told Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. You think the way men think, not God thinks. If you cannot see in the, in, the, in the events of your own time, the crucifixion of Jesus, and therefore His resurrection, you are being listening to the wrong spirit. You're listening to the wrong spirit. You can't be like a child. You, can't have, you cannot have any happiness in your life, because everything is gloomy. You can't have peace. Everything is gloomy. You can't have joy. Everything is gloomy. Because you expect the things of this world to give you happiness instead of looking to God's glory and looking at all that is going on as the work of Jesus Christ and His Blessed Mother that will lead the church through the third millennium. And then that will put you on your knees and you pray and you align your will with the will of the Father and you re re surrender yourself to God the Father and you let Him guide your life. That's your mission. That's our mission as Catholics. That's how we witness of God's glory. You understand? Because otherwise you will not be fearless. Otherwise you will not dare to speak up and speak out and tell the people about God's love. Yeah? Think about that. Reflect on the events of your life, not in terms of pure political power play, but in terms of the actions of Jesus Christ into the world as he described them to us in the book of Revelation. And if you can do that, you will be able to live in the midst of turmoil and in the midst of difficulties and trials with peace in your heart. There is no other way. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, 
I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Make haste and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt, and all of that you have seen. Make haste and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Command them also, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. Give no thought of your, to your goods, for the best of the, all the land of Egypt is yours. The son of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave festal garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five festal garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten asses loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler of all, over all the land of Egypt. And his heart fainted, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Very dramatic um, chapter in which Joseph reveals himself to, to them. Before we go into the details, I wanted to point out to you how, one more time, how Joseph saw this. How he himself expresses it after reflecting upon it. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He sees in the actions of the brothers and all the actions of his life, the ordering of the events according to God's will. He sees in what has happened to him, 
the action of providence, the action of the Holy Spirit. And because he sees that, he is able to do what? What is he now able to do? Forgive them. He sees in all these events how God's providence has worked for the greater good of all. And what is that then? If not a glimpse or a vision of God's glory. And when he sees that, he is able to forgive. Notice how forgiveness comes to him naturally, generously, joyfully. Why? Because he realizes that in everything that has happened, there was even another hand working through it all. And because he corresponded to God's will throughout his life, he did what God wanted him to do. And he sees the reward. And what is his reward? What is Joseph's reward in all of this? What does he see? Here we go. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That's his reward. Does he gain anything personally from having all his family come down? As far as glory goes? Nothing. He's got it all. Right? He's got it all. You notice? But what makes him truly happy that he's able to preserve life? You see the workings of the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the giver of life. The giver of life. How do you see your life? What makes you happy? To do God's will, that's true, but it's a little bit abstract. I'm asking you not even to answer me. I'm just asking a question for you to think about and answer in very practical ways. Would you be happy if you won $10 million tomorrow? Would that make you happy? Think about it, and I want you to think about it in two ways. Think about what you would like to answer, and then think about how you would answer now. And see if you can be honest enough to answer this way. Is material goods a source of happiness for you? To some degree, yes. Okay. Let me show you how material goods is not a source of happiness. It's a source of comfort. It's a source of ease of life, right? Which has, it's a double-edged sword. Right? I'm going to prove to you that material goods do not make you happy. In your house, can you tell me what is the most important piece of equipment you have in your house today? But I'm really talking about equipment. You look at your house, you get everything in the house. What is the most important piece? The one that has dramatic impact on our lives. The fridge. The fridge. I'm just very simple. Down to earth. Fridge. Why? Why? Without a fridge, what happens to food? Spoils. And what happens to us when we eat spoiled food? It's, I mean, the impact of the fridge is incredible. All right. You agree? How many of you go home every night and hug your fridge? How many of you stand in front of your fridge and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. You are the source of my happiness. I'm so happy. How many? Huh. Why is that? Didn't we just say material possessions make you, can make you happy? If your fridge doesn't make you happy, what else can make you happy? Well, maybe a really, you know, I don't know, maybe a, a, a sports car makes some people happy. Right? 
If you think about it objectively, the purpose of a car is to take you from point A to point B. Whether it's a, it looks like it's a sports car or otherwise, doesn't change its function, but it's something else attached to it. Right? It's the prestige. For whatever reason, we irrationally think that somebody driving a Corvette is more important or more prestigious than somebody's driving a, uh, I don't know, some other car, right? We can be silly this way. We associate these artificial values, but at the end of the day, is this person driving a Corvette happier than somebody else driving another car just because he's driving a car? No. You know that. You know how it goes. You get the new thing. It's new for a little while. You're happy with it for a little while. And after that, what happens? You're going to maintain the thing, pay insurance on the thing. You have to worry about the thing. And suddenly, you're not as happy as you were before. Right? Hmm. Material possession, material goods are important to enable us to live. That's true. We need them. Absolutely. But they're not a source of happiness. You got to reflect on that. And see how hypocritical we are. Because if tomorrow I told you, if you were to go to Mass tomorrow, if you come here at 6 o'clock in the morning, there's going to be a pile of $30 billion sitting here. It's first come, first serve. How many people do you think will show up late? How many people will be out there at night camping? Yeah? You understand? Because deep down, go back to what I said earlier, we're not seeking God's glory. We want to seek our own. And some of us may say, but I'm not seeking my own. I just want what? I just want the assurance that I can live comfortably and I can ward away events and I can take care of myself no matter what. Translation. I'm seeking my own glory. There is no difference between the two statements. Somebody, usually we think, seeking my own glory means when I have my poster everywhere, I'm this super duper artist and everybody knows me. That's just the most extreme form of it. Seeking your own glory is relying upon yourself to make sure you live the way you want. This is how you seek your own glory. Instead of being God-reliant. Relying on God every day because, you know what? In ten minutes from now, we may be all dead. An earthquake may hit and none of us will survive. We don't think this way, see? We control our lives. I'm the master of my own life. I'm seeking my own glory. See how insidious the devil is? He doesn't have to tell us become a super, um, you know, super duper hero, somebody that people... No, he doesn't have to do any of this. What he has to do is work very, very hard to be independent. Be your own man. Do your own thing. That's what you have to say. And he plants in our heart the seed of pride that pushes us away from God because I will do it my way. Joseph got to Egypt, right? Got into that house and he had a beautiful garment. He was all puffed up. And there's this woman in this house taunting him all the time. Instead of getting out, and building a little shack to work in and be away from her, what did he do? He stayed there. Notice, he didn't go after her. Right? Of himself, he didn't do anything wrong. He's a good guy. He's doing his duty. He just stayed there. Yeah, he neglected to do God's will. And that was enough to get him in trouble. You understand? Being in jail... Away from all these things, away from the fridge, and all the comfort of material life, he had time to reflect. 
And you can see how God did not abandon him because he didn't fall into despondency. He didn't rebel against God. He didn't accuse God of all the things. You're the one who did this and then the other. He didn't do what Adam did. Right? Notice. Because there was a woman in the house. Joseph didn't say to God, the woman you put in there. Right? He didn't do that. There was no accusation came out of his mouth. You can see how God was really holding him. He could not have done that had God not given him the necessary graces to do that. God filled him with graces. The graces overflowed on him. Even though he was in jail, he was indeed a really happy man. Because God prevented him from committing even a further sin. He actually was able to see God through it all. And his love of God deepened even though his material conditions were worse. You notice? How many of you can today contemplate cancer serenely? How many of you can say to God, honestly, I deserve a cancer? The way I sinned before you, I absolutely deserve it. In fact, I deserve worse. I deserve to go to hell. If you cannot say that, you're sitting on the bedrock of pride that is probably 22,000 miles deep. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Look, I'm not a televangelist. And I'm not a guy trying to become famous. So I'm, not, I'm never going to sugarcoat it to you. I don't know how to say it to you any other way. Because this is the spiritual reality that we live in. If you can't contemplate sickness serenely, if you can't contemplate losing a loved one serenely, if you cannot contemplate going through hardship serenely, you're full of pride. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And you're seeking your own glory. This is the spiritual reality we live in today. This world wants us to think this way. But imagine if you can go to God, kneel before Him and say, yeah, I can completely understand why you want to send a cancer my way. And I accept it gladly. Imagine if you can do that and live it the way Joseph lived it while he was in jail. While he was in jail. Because that's what he did while he was in jail. He accepted his punishment from God's hands. Otherwise, he would not be able to say what he said today. You understand? He could not have said, I see that everything that happened was God, God's work, bringing me... Why? What, what, what does Genesis say at the beginning, in the very first chapter? After every act of creation... God saw that it was good. Therefore, everything that God does is? Okay. Hence, Joseph being in jail is? Oh, but it's okay. We can say Joseph being in jail is good, but if God sends me cancer, that's bad. Yeah? Oh, power and position afterwards. Very good. Joseph had power. This is so important. I really thank you for bringing this up. Joseph had power and position. Right? So it would be okay if we could have cancer. And after cancer, God turns us into Superman. Right? Then we're happy. You with, you with me? We're happy. Or Superwoman. Or, you know, pick your favorite hero. You, you're with me? But that's exactly what he's going to do. What's a saint? But see, yeah, we're not too interested in becoming a saint. Right? That's the thing. Now we're, now we're confronting the issue. A man, a woman who accepts their suffering, 
willingly from God's hands. And now don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say you don't seek healing and you don't go see doctors. You do everything you're supposed to do. You understand? This is not about being, you know, oh, well, God, okay, have at it. You know, I'm going to suffer. That's fine. No, I'm saying if something comes your way and you're able to deal with it peaceably and understand it as, as, as a gift from the loving God of from the loving hand of God to you, and that through you He's going to make you a saint and a great saint, and that you will be able to do what through this? Preserve life. You become united to the Holy Spirit, just as Our Lady is united to the Holy Spirit. You become truly the handmaid of God, or the instrument of God, through whom God can preserve life. If that talk, if this kind, these words are either coming across as gloomy or difficult or too demanding or scary or spooky, understand where the source is. The source is the devil. He does not want us to go there because there is Mary. You don't truly love Mary? You want to be imitators of Mary? You want to honor her? You want to praise her? You want to follow her? You do that. Because that's what she did. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. What did she say after that? Aha. Can you say those words? Be it done to me according to... Can you say that? Joseph did it. That's why his story has been written. It's been written not to tell us how kind of, you know, what a great guy he was. It's written, and God is saying to us, you see this? That's what I'm expecting you to do. I'm expecting nothing less than that. This is our duty. It's our duty. That's what we're called to do. And every one of us, every single one of us, we have these areas. We're doing the same thing over and over again. Right? We're not getting much glory out of it. We're not getting anything fancy. We're dealing with somebody who's maybe difficult at work. And it's the same story every single time. Or we're working on petty projects. Or we're doing things that nobody ever notices. And it's the same thing over and over again. Or, to put it mildly, and I think it fits everybody, we're doing something that we consider to be far less than what we really can do or want to do. Or we haven't reached our potential, to use more common words. Or our relationship didn't turn out the way we want it. And so, doubt sets in. Tiredness sets in, a heavy heart, and a form of indifference. Life, well, that's, the, you know, that's life. What can you do? You just have to put up with it. And in the whole process, we're missing what? What are we missing? We do not see that in these little teeny weeny little things, in our solitude, in the moments of abandonment, in the moment where we feel completely alone, we feel that nobody's with us. That God is turning us into someone who can preserve life. Into a saint. That's what he's doing in your life right now. So if you can reflect back on your entire life and see how it led you to today and how today will lead you to tomorrow. And if you can see through it, God's will. Today, doing this in your life for your greater glory in him then you would rejoice exceedingly. You would recognize Him as truly being a good God, a God of love.
because of what he's doing in your life today. And that is an act of faith. And then you imitate Mary. Because when she said it, you know what? When she said, be done unto me, she didn't have the Bible in her hand. The Gospels weren't written yet. She didn't know how the story ended. God didn't reveal to her everything she had to do. There was no special treatment there. With Our Lady, as it was with Joseph. Right after the angel spoke to her this way, and for the rest of Scripture, we don't find any any angelic declaration done to her. There is no super communication to Our Lady. Why? Because God wanted to make sure that He will allow her to gain as many, the greatest possible glory through a life of faith. In fact, God spoke to her in a temple, and she didn't understand what he said. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand what he said. They did not understand. Do you feel that you don't understand God? Well, you're in good company. If he treated his mother this way, why would you expect anything else? Why should you expect that God is going to do some sort of transmission on your iPad with the 12 steps program that he wants you to follow, explaining to you exactly, down to the second, how your life is going to unfold? Why? This is written as a condensed form to show us how our life unfolds. Symbolically, the the minute Joseph reveals himself to his brothers is what is going to happen to us in heaven where there is this revelation about who we really are to our brothers and sisters. And we come to rejoice about God's plan as we saw it unfolding in our life. That's when we rejoice. Mary told St. Bernadette Subiru when she appeared to her, I promise to make you happy, but not in this life. Not in this life. Can you live this way? Can you, can you accept that? You cannot accept that unless you understand that God is in His glory and power and might working through your life to make something absolutely unique, unrepeatable, of such magnitude that you're going to be floored for the first three million years in heaven. Once you see how grand your life is. Yeah. The life you're living right now with all its little petty problems and all the things that go wrong and all the disappointments and all the problems you have and all the difficulties, all of that is part of His plan to make something absolutely magnificent. And if you truly believe it, what would you say? I cannot wait. You'd want to die today. Today. Because you can't wait. Can you live like that? If not, the only thing that is preventing you are what? Your own vices. Nothing else. Not the circumstances of your life. Not the other people around you. Particularly those who are hurting you. Not even them. Just your vices. Boils down to that. Your own sins and your own vices. That's what's preventing you. Nothing else. Not Mr. Obama, not the Democratic Party, not the budget in California. None of that is preventing you. Just 
you. And if you took that seriously, then you go to your father and you say, how can I change this? What must I do? You'd be like the younger boy, right? Father, I am not worthy that you call me your son or your daughter. But let me work in your field. Now you've taken the proper attitude. Can you do that before he sends you to work with the pigs? And to get you to the point where you would like to eat what they're eating? He has to do that with a lot of people. A lot of us have to go all the way there before we can come back. Do you think this is what he really wanted? He didn't want to give him his, uh, in, his um, um, inheritance. That wasn't God's plan initially for his younger son. That's what the younger son asked for. Since he respects our freedom, he gave it to him. What the intended result. Yeah? Are you aware where you are in your life today? Unless you go to your father every day and pray and ask him to send you the Holy Spirit to open your mind and show you where you are today, how he sees you, what he wants you to do, you're not going to make advances in the spiritual life. Hence, you're not going to be able to grow. You're not going to get to that point where you say, I wish I was in heaven today. I'm done here. I am ready to go. My bags are set. I can go right now. There's nothing holding me back. Oh, yes, I know a lot of people who love me. A lot of people care about me. And I have a lot. But you know what? God, you're the boss. And you'll take care of everything. Now, I'll stay here as long as you want me to. And I'll do whatever you want me to. But not one second later. This is not my house. I'm on the road and it's dusty. Can you live this way? This is what Joseph did in jail. He realized it. So he was given all this glory. But you know what? The glory he was given afterwards wasn't his anymore. He recognized it as being the glory that God gave him so that he can preserve life. It wasn't something that would hurt him. Translation. If you're yearning for money and wealth, if you want to be rich, and if God loves you, he will not give it to you. Because he knows you're going to hurt yourself with it. If, on the other hand, you'd rather be a hermit, living far away and praying 14 hours a day, he might make you a millionaire. Because he knows you'll be able to manage this money wisely and help everybody. That's how you have to think. Can you orient your career this way? Can you orient your ambitions this way? Can you orient your future this way? Can you orient your own house this way? Is your house set up so when I come there, I'd be impressed by how rich you are and I feel really uncomfortable? Is your house set up so that if somebody poor comes to visit you, they will not feel comfortable? They will not want to get in? Are you there to, is your house set up so I'd be impressed? And not feel welcome? Are you in a competition with somebody when it comes to your house? Or is your house set up so that Mary and Joseph can come in and feel comfortable? How did you set up your house? What's your goal? Are you focused more on how your house looks? Or are you focused on how you're educating your kids and how many kids you have? Where, is your, where are your priorities? Yeah? Joseph was very rich. You think he cared in his own house? He did the Egyptian thing. 
Yeah. But did he really care? It's not said, but when you read through it, you can tell. This is a man he didn't care. Why? This is a man who can have had 222,000 wives if he wanted. He could. If he was after riches and after his own glory and after his own vices, he could have had all the women he wanted. He had one. And not even the one he picked. Pharaoh gave it to him. Gave, gave her to him. Do you understand this man? I mean, he's amazing. No confession. No Eucharist. No sacraments. No baptism. He is amazing. Truly amazing. I don't think it's a coincidence that St. Joseph is named St. Joseph. I don't think it is a coincidence. There is a correspondence between the two, the Joseph of this of the of Genesis and Saint Joseph that is truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. Okay, let me quote to you. Let me tell you some of the things in this um, in this chapter. Really highly. So we spoke quite a bit about his attitude, the way he talked to his brothers, and how he was able to forgive them, and how he was able to bring reconciliation in his family. Let's not forget also what I told you last time. He was able to do this because of what. Because of what Judas did. The two are connected. Judah, in the last chapter, showed that he was truly the firstborn son. He was the one who told him about all their sins. He was the one who took the sins upon himself. And he was the one who offered his life instead of Benjamin. He showed himself to be a true firstborn son. And as a result, was able to lead his brother to cross the last step. God will put in your lives people who will help you, who will guide you along. God will never abandon you. There will be somebody, either someone who you do good to, and as a consequence, much good is done to you. Healing happens simply because you did some good. Or someone who comes and helps you unexpectedly. God works this way. Judah helped his brother, the one whom he sold into slavery. And as a result, Joseph was able to cross that last step. Because he could have simply said, you go back, I'll keep my brother, or I'll put you in jail, I'll send my men, bring my father over here. And that's the end of it. You deserve what you did. Or let my father judge between you and I. He had many options to deal with them. But he was led to, lead, to pick this one precisely because of Judah, who was able to lead him into forgiveness, into generosity. Is there anybody in your family with whom you cannot speak? You're not on speaking terms at all. A brother, a cousin, an aunt, your mother-in-law, somebody. Pray to God to send the right person to help you through this. This person may be your guardian angel, their guardian angel, both of the guardian angels, maybe a saint, maybe a book, maybe a life, maybe somebody. If you're stuck somewhere, unable to forgive, unable to have a normal relationship with somebody, you don't have to become buddy-buddy and, you know, let's spend every Saturday together and plant, you know, tomatoes. But you have to get to a point where at least you can talk to somebody, overcome that moment of that, that bitterness in your heart. Ask God to send you the right person to help you. 
If you have a sort of hatred towards a whole bunch of people, if you tend to you know, stereotype people, you know, all the Muslims are terrible, you can't do business with them. They're all thieves. You know, all the Jews are one of controlling the whole world, and you can't even do any, any, that non, any kind of that nonsense. It's nonsense. Right? Ask God to help you overcome it. Because there is none of that in heaven. Okay? There's none of that in heaven. So, reflect on your own life and see all these areas where you need to let go. And ask God to send you the right person to help you. Sometimes you just can't do it on your own. It's too much. You can't. It's okay. God, send me the right person. Put on my path those who will be able to help me. I need help. Okay? Now, verse 15. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Before they were, could not talk to him. When he showed like a brat with his beautiful uh, tunic and started telling them about his dreams, they could not talk to him. Had he come to them and said, had he from the very beginning showed them love and come to them and said, I'm perturbed, I'm having these dreams. What do you think it means? I don't want those dreams. It would have been a very different reaction that we have received. But no, he was Mr. Superstar, let me show you. Now, it's a very different man. And now, they are able to talk to him. Verse 24, Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Why did he say that to them? Why did he say, Do not quarrel on the way? Exactly. They're going to get into the blame game. Now, where do we see that in the Gospels? In the Gospels, there are three occasions where the disciples... Quarrel. And what did they quarrel about? In all three cases, it was the greatest. Jesus is with them. God is with them. Walking with them. And what are they quarreling about? Who's the greatest? You think it would be any different if Jesus was walking with us right now? Would it be any better? Think about that. Would you be any better? Who is the greatest? So he told them, do not quarrel. Meaning... Let go of recriminations. The reason why they would want to is because there is this very powerful emotional charge. They're just, they, they essentially were on the brink of disaster. They were standing before the man who could accuse them and execute judgment. So that emotional charge is still there. And the fear that come with it is still there. It hasn't been able to be released. So on the way, they would go around and say, what did you do? They could be quarreling. So he's basically telling them, do not quarrel on the way. What does that tell you about Joseph? What virtue is he exhibiting here? Wisdom. Wisdom. Right? He understands human psychology. And that comes to him from what? observation. He's no longer the guy who was completely blind showing up between his brothers saying, Yoo-hoo, look at me. I'm so great. And you're all going to serve me. Not anymore. He's gained wisdom. How do you gain wisdom? Holy Spirit, meditation. Yes, absolutely. Pardon? Fear of God. You're very good. Yes. 
all these are very good ways in which you gain wisdom, right? So it's not just suffering alone. You understand, suffering all by itself is not redemptive. I don't want to glorify suffering. Suffering on its own does nothing. It is only when suffering is what? Joined, offered as a gift. That's what joined mean. You offer it as a gift, willingly, joyfully, to God, the way you'd offer Our Lady a rose. You say, this is for you. Then your suffering is redemptive. Because God receives this little bit of something and does something absolutely glorious with it out of what? Love. Because He sees that you're showing a little bit of love and He answers with divine love. And your love is absolutely amazing. Because you were able to please God. That's amazing. All right? But it is the fact that you are in conversation with God. So if it is through suffering that you need to go there, so be it. But if it is maybe through genuine love, like St. Therese, the little child Jesus, who came to God, the easy way, the quick way, that's even better. And corresponding to God's call to you, you gain wisdom. So some of you may be going through suffering right now, through crisis. You, you, may be, you might be thinking, I'm in a spot, I don't know how to even get out of here. It's so difficult. It's so painful. It's so hard. And you may not even see that God is preparing you to help others who are going to be, who are in your same place. You don't see how God is going to be able to take you and make you preserve life by touching the lives of others. Either directly, which is the most cumbersome, difficult, demanding process, or indirectly through your prayers. Because your prayer will carry such weight and such power that you might be touching so many people and you will only find out when it's revealed to you in heaven. A whole bunch of people you never know come to you and say thank you. They're going to be, hopefully one day when you get to heaven, God willing, there are going to be two lines. I've told you this a number of times. I'd like to remind you of it. There are going to be two lines. The lines of people you're going to say thank you to. Holy men and women in your own family, people you've never known, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and even deeper than that, who knows, maybe there's a king or a queen in your family and you're just going to come discover that up there and they're in heaven. And they've been praying for you, you in particular, by name. Because this is why you're here. Because they're praying. When you realize that, you're going to go, what? Thank you. Thank you. You're going to thank them. Especially if you realize if they didn't pray, you would not be here at all. You can thank them a lot. And I mean a lot. So there's going to be that line. And then there's going to be a line of people who's going to come to you and say, thank you. And what do you want? You want the second line to be a lot longer than the first. That's what you want. Why? So you can show off, right? Uh -uh. You get, yes, you get more glory, but also because you can say, you can say, see, I have loved you. At home, there's a game I play with my kids. It goes something like this. I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. We go on and on and on. 
this is the kind of game we don't play with God, so to speak. You know, it, you know who loves more who, but fundamentally, it's a way of showing God, I truly loved you the best I could. Look, that's how your life should be oriented when you get to heaven. If you can think this way, if you can continuously to think about heaven, today I'm getting ready to go to heaven. If you can think this way, none of the problems and difficulties of this life will trouble you. Now, a couple of words I will say before we close. Goshen, this name has not been identified as Egyptian. It is most likely Semitic and probably connected with the Hebrew gush or clod, referring to a type of soil. So, for instance, there's a place called Gush Halav or Giskala in Upper Galilee. Another region of Goshen is a strip of land south of Hebron in the land of Israel mentioned in Joshua 10.41 and 11.16. It's a hill city. So the presence of such a name in, Egypt, in Egyptian records uh, accord with other Semitic place names such as Sukkoth and Migdol. So we really don't know where Goshen is, but it's essentially a place where they could come and graze. And imagine how God now works all the way through and make the Pharaoh help. So not only will people who believe will help you, but even people who do not believe come to your aid and help you. And why were the Pharaoh so happy? The Pharaoh and the attendants were so happy because this confirmed, according to St. Ephraim, that indeed Joseph was not the son of a slave, but the son of a free man and the son of a patriarch. So to them, that that confirmed the glory that God gave him. That's why they were really happy about it. And so I think it would be good for us to to end with um, a quotation from St. John Chrysostom. Let us comfort those badly disposed to us. Let us comfort those badly disposed to us. That servitude, Joseph is saying, procured for me this position. That sale brought me to this prominence. That distress proved the occasion of this honor for me. That envy produced this glory for me. Let us not simply hear this, but also emulate it. In the same way, let us comfort those badly disposed to us, relieving them of responsibility for what has been done to us and putting up with everything with great equanimity, like this remarkable man. Like this remarkable man. And actually, I'll say one more. This is from uh, uh, Kaiseris of Arles. You have admired the chastity of Joseph. Now behold his generosity. He repays hatred with charity. When he saw his brothers, or rather enemies in his brothers, he gave evidence of the affection of his love by his pious grief when he wanted to be recognized by them. He tenderly kissed each one of them and wept over them individually. As Joseph moistened the necks of his frightened brothers with his refreshing tears, he washed away their hatred with the tears of his charity. He loved them always, as with the love of their living father and dead brother. He did not recall that pit into which he had been thrown to be murdered. He did not think of himself, a brother sold for a price. Instead, by returning good for evil, even then he fulfilled the precepts of the apostles that were not yet given. Therefore, by considering the sweetness of true charity, blessed Joseph, with God's help, was eager to repel from his heart the poison of envy with which he knew his brothers had been struck. It is a lesson written in Scripture, as St. Paul tells us, for us, to teach us how God loves us 
and how God expects to be loved in return. God bless you. We'll finish with a word of prayer and then we'll take some questions. Questions? Yes. Okay. It's, uh, yes, indeed, it is very mysterious how the evil of the world will show the glory of God. And the way to understand it is always to look at the crucifixion. Right? The crucifixion was the greatest evil ever committed. And yet it showed the glory of God. Because God can turn in His power that which is evil into a great good. As usual, yes, exactly. No, when you're going through it, you usually don't understand why, just as I said with Our Lady, God wants to give you all the possible glory. If you understood, where's the faith? Yeah? Combine both. You can't have faith if you know. Faith presumes ignorance, right? Abraham is a perfect example. He told him, take your son, your only son, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. He didn't tell him, oh, and by the way, don't worry. Right before you, you kill him, I'll take care of it. I'll stop you. Exactly. But he didn't take away the ordeal from him. He didn't take away the, the pain, the emotional suffering, and the preparation, everything he had to do that was not taken from him. Because he thought, I am going to kill my son. Because he thought, exactly, he'll raise him up. But he didn't think he's going to stop me. He was ignorant because that's how he gained such glory. Why? Because at the end of the day, our problem is that we put more faith in the knowledge of the things than in the one who gives the knowledge. See? That's how we have a spiritual sweet tooth. We want the things, even if they're spiritual, rather than the one who gives the things. You understand? Yes, yes. Oh, very good question. First of all, I did not say whether we like it or not, somebody in our family will not make it. I'm not that good. Might, may, you know, the, the, the stakes are that somebody will not eventually, right? Either directly or indirectly down the line, right? Somewhere around, the, it's going to happen. Okay, but if somebody's praying, then it should be for the whole family. It might be for the whole family, down to a certain number of generations, but it doesn't take away the free will. The father loved his son and wanted to give him everything, yet the son said, give me my inheritance now, I'm going to go spend it my way. He let him go. Right? So we have to look at, at it both ways. The graces are flowing because somebody asked for them. We, we still have to correspond to the grace. We have to answer, say, yes, Lord, I will, I will be there. Yeah? Any other question? Yes. Exactly, they will be visited upon the children, down to the fourth generation. Yes. Yeah, many, many times throughout Scripture. So the sins, not the, the effects of the sins, right? So somebody commits a sin, it doesn't mean that we inherit the sin. We don't do that. But the, the punishment due to sin is visited down the generations, on the children, down to the fourth generation. Right? However, the blessings are down to the thousand generations. Meaning, as long as it goes until somebody breaks it. Look how God is really not being just, just here. So you see the disproportion in His mercy versus his, his justice. So no, absolutely, the sins of the parents are visited down 
the fourth generation. Yeah, and you see it, and very, I mean, psychologically, you see it. For instance, uh, girls who come from divorced homes have three times the chance of divorcing themselves than girls who don't, and on and on the list of so many different things. What is that? It's exactly what God was talking about. And so it can be genetic, but it can be physiological, it can be physical, it can be psychological. The beauty of it all, though, is that it's only limited to punishment in this life. Hence, these punishments can be used by the ones who suffer through them to actually gain a greater glory in heaven. It does not mean they are damned to hell. Precisely. Precisely. Not just as humans. You're right, as humans we have that tendency, but the devil... Remember, St. Paul say we're not contending with, with human forces here. We're contending with principalities and dominions. Why did he say principalities and dominions? What are those? The fourth and fifth choir of angels. Those are high angels. Very powerful. He's pointing out that we're contending with spiritual forces that are way over our league. We cannot, we cannot face those guys. We don't have the wherewithal, the mental capacity, the power to face them one-on-one. Yet he says, this is what we're contending with, and we're going to win the battle if right, we keep our eyes on what matters. Their goal is to separate us, to take us away from what matters. How do they do that? They puff us up. They, you want more responsibility? Here, take on more. You understand? That's why this insistence, if you understand the covenant, God, God is in control. That's number one. He's the strong party, I'm the weak party. He says, you do this, you will live. You do this, you won't. God is truthful, God is good, God is all loving. Therefore, I'll do this, because I want to live. Now, I stop asking questions and I busy myself in doing this. Now I'm on my way. But so many people never get there because they doubt whether God is all-powerful or whether God is all-loving or whether God is all-good all the time. This is what these spirits want. Hence, they fall prey to anxiety and doubt and a sense of self-guilt that, is, that continues on and never healed and a whole host of issues that essentially separates them from what um, God has intended for them in the beginning. Yet, through it all, God's will, God's authority, God's dominion is done, and His glory will show in the end. And we're going to be amazed. We're going to stand in awe, as St. Paul tells us in his letters. You're going to stand in awe when you see what God is going to do. Okay? During the first period of the church, they were persecuted by the Jews. Then they were persecuted by the Romans. They had nowhere to go. They couldn't be structured. There could be or- nothing And so many people died as martyrs. And what was the end result? God converted the Roman Empire. The most evil empire that existed in history in the Western world. He converted the the Roman Empire. What do you think he's doing right now in China? Do you have any doubt that China is going to be Catholic? Do you have any doubt that India is going to become Catholic? But, But do you have any doubt? I have no doubt. Zero. Zero doubt. That's the plan. I mean, he's going to completely overtake them. We're going to stand in awe and see something we never thought could be possible. It is going to be possible. Pardon? Yeah, exactly. And, and why do you think America got the power? Right? America got the power because of what was going on in Europe. God passes on the baton from power to power for those who will do His will. And when they don't, He takes it away. As simple as that. He's the one who's the boss. Right? Who knows? Most of the time, though, to, to, to piggyback on your question, God's work is done in a very hidden fashion. We don't see it. 
to give you an idea, uh, there was a conversation here that happened somewhere between two priests in San Diego, one visiting from, uh, uh, visiting from Indonesia, actually. And one priest told him during Easter, he had 400 people become Catholic here. And the priest from Indonesia said, huh, I had 4,000 Muslims became Catholic. Father Pakwa tells us that year after year, it's, 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 in the, it's in the tens of thousands who are converting in Indonesia. Do you ever hear about it? Do you hear of it, of an NBC or CNN or... Yeah, that's the result. See, see we, we don't, that's what I'm saying. We don't have that biblical understanding of the world and Jesus acting throughout, through it all. The volcanoes and the earth, earthquakes and the oil being spilled out, the economic crisis and all of this, we tremble like leaves on a tree because we think we're all alone. He's in control. Yes. Very good. Excellent question. So the first question, how do I know what my forefathers' sins were? You don't have to. Thank, thanks be to God, you didn't have to. All you have to do is pray. Father Hemsch, who was here for a healing uh, mass, has a whole series of tapes on this. He is far more knowledgeable than I am and can tell you a lot more than I can ever do. But one thing I retained from what he said was very simple. During the elevation, consecration, you pray, you ask the blood of Jesus to come between all these generations and cut away the effect of sins, not the sins. Again, Right? It doesn't mean that because, let's say, somebody in your family committed sin X, that you're going to commit the same sin. That's not what we're talking about. But the punishment due to it will come down the line. So you ask Jesus to intervene with his blood and stop it by the power of his blood. And when you receive communion, you do the same thing. And the best way to make sure that this is happening is when you say the Our Father and you get to the part, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Forgive us our trespasses, you're asking for healing. And, and as we forgive, you're asking for forgiveness. Healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. So to the degree that you can f- heal from all the, um, the, maybe any form of hatred or any form of, uh, of, uh, of things that are blocking you, the more you receive forgiveness. And the, 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 the other compliment, the other piece of it is when you sacrifice for your children. Right? When you offer sacrifice, just as Job did, the just man, every morning he got up and he offered sacrifice on behalf of his children, lest they have sinned. Right? So when you do that, remember, God is not sitting here holding a piece of paper and going, check. Right? But when you see you acting in a loving way like Judah did, right? he will pour his graces upon you. When you see you being living your, your life as a family man according to the covenant and trying the best you can to be faithful to the covenant, when you fall, you get up, you continue, right? God pours upon you all His graces and protects you and blesses you with kids who are obedient and kids who listen and kids for whom faith is important and kids who will grow up and will amaze you with the way they live. And you're going to feel the, the one who is sort of on the sideline. Because they're so far ahead of you in their love of God. Yeah, that's how, that's how it happens. Yes. Right. Right. So the, the, they were asking him, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither. Right. He's here for the greater glory of God. Right. The purpose of this is to simply let us know that in a specific instance, right, um, there was no sin attached to his condition. 
His condition was there to glorify God. It doesn't mean, though, that every time someone is suffering from something, it is for the greater glory of God. That does not take away the fact that so many other things are due to this visitation. You understand? Yeah. So that's important. So, for instance, Sister Rafa suffered for 30 years. Pain we cannot even imagine. It wasn't for her sins or the sins of her parents. It was for the glory of God. Right? St. Francis, likewise. And on and on. So, we, suffering by itself does not mean one or the other. It doesn't mean, oh, you're suffering because of, your, of, of, of sins committed by your par- parents or forefathers, or it means necessarily you're, you, you are a holy man saving the world. That on its own is not enough. It's the life of the person and the graces that are flowing from it that, that are the telltale signs of the virtues and the holiness inside the soul. Yeah. Yes. How do you preserve life? Oh, you preserve life when you are open to life. The Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can really preserve life. What does that mean? It means you're going to be uh, um, obeying God's covenant. You're going to be obeying the covenant of the church. And you're going to do the best you can to give life. So whether physically, by receiving as many children as God wants you to receive, or spiritually, by catering to others around you who need your attention. You're preserving life. Have I answered your question? Or is this something specific you had in mind? Okay. No, no, you don't have to. Don't get me wrong. Some do. There are souls who are sacrificial souls. But God calls them to this. Right? So, St. Saint Rebecca was one of them. She was a sacrificial soul. All right. But for us, most of us who have lives and families, God sends our way these little things that annoy us. And those are the ones we can offer. You see? So, for instance, you're walking in your house, and for the umpteenth time, you see that piece of paper on the floor. And you've told your son, don't put it here, put it right. So right there and then, you know, a new volcano is about to be born. Well, maybe not in your case, but maybe in mine, right? If instead, I can see in this, God's loving attention to me. That piece of paper right here is his gift to me. If I can see it this way, and if I can bend down and pick it up, and put it in and say, this is for you. I'm doing this for you. If I can do that and rein in on my emotions, frustration, I have now done God's will. I have offered sacrifice. I have did an act of faith, an act of hope, an act of charity, an act of piety. Not bad for picking one piece of paper. That was a wonderful gift. Who knows what he's going to do with it? That's my point. Pardon? Do you have to suffer to go to heaven? Absolutely. Well, anyone who wants to follow me, pick up your cross. He never said pick up your Cadillac or go on a cruise. Pick up your cross and follow me. So therefore, yes, it's a given. Why? Because suffering is a wonderful, wonderful tool that God uses to heap glory upon you. Now, here's the interesting thing. Nobody, nobody would ask, if I want to become rich... And create my own business. Do I have to work hard? It's a given, right? Do I have to work long hours and really put in a ton of hours and do all that and sweat? And Is there any doubt in anybody's mind? No. When it comes to heaven, yeah. There, 
Yes. When the second coming, at the second coming, uh, there is, you know, folks will go to hell or to heaven. That's the last judgment. And the, the, I can't tell you right now what happens to people in purgatory. Because honestly, if the second coming happens tomorrow, I'm not going to worry about it. You see? I'll just watch and see what he's going to do with the people in purgatory. I never thought about it. It's not written, but it's the end of time. Right? Therefore, everything comes to a halt. You either go to heaven or to hell. So one thing we can deduce from that is the, is the parable of the um, workers. Remember? There's the guys who showed up in the morning and told them, I'll pay you 8 bucks or eight seventy-five, whatever the minimum wage is. Right? And then the guy showed up at noon and he said the same thing. So let's say the first guy told them for the whole day I'll pay you 100 bucks. The guy showed up at noon, 100 bucks. And finally, at 4 o'clock, the day ends at 5. A bunch of guys show up and he paid them 100 bucks. Right? So take that and apply it to the end of time. Who says that he will not do it in a second? I suppose, yes, there will always be purification. How he's going to do it? I don't know. Maybe it's all condensed. Maybe it's one second, but it's a, it's a second. I don't know. But w- what's behind these questions? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, when the tribulation will happen, obviously it's going to be a source of great, it will be a source of great suffering, but those are for the people who haven't died yet. Right, right, but the people who died already are in purgatory. What happens to them? Here's a greater mystery, though. Suppose we are five minutes before, purg- uh, before the end of the world, and there is a woman who's pregnant, and she's in her four months, and the world ends in five minutes. What happens then? Pardon? But does this mean that the baby... De- we don't know. We don't know, but I don't think that the giver of life would necessarily interrupt. I mean, maybe he does. Maybe he does. Talking about mysteries, another one. I don't know. Of course not. We don't know everything. No. But does it really matter for us? No. That doesn't really matter. That's not essential for our salvation. You see, you're right. You're absolutely right. This is a very good point. You have to know your faith to be able to share with others and remove obstacles. You're correct. That's very, very good. But don't start there because... It's not the most important point for most people. Other things are far more important to them. Yeah? So la- leave, leave these points um, alone because there are things we simply don't know. And even during the times of the fathers, there were things they didn't know. All right? So it's, not, it's nothing new. You really want to focus on God's love and start right there. Who is God? Does He love you? What does He want for you? Right? And, and, and see if you can make headway this way. But that's a very good point, yeah. All right, God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this talk from Corbono. For more information about this and other talks, please visit our website at www.corbono.com. Thank you, and God bless you.